for Gondor, for Gondor! I have ridden my steed hard to get here. And what, lo, do I find? John Allen Large is not here. What? What's going on? After such a speech, I should find him on the plains of Minas Tirith? <laughs> ah, man, it's like the January 6 riots all over again. <sighs> well, as all good players who have dwarf as their preferred racial class would do, I'm actually hiding in the nearby tavern. And so, welcome to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John, and I'm sat here with a foaming flagon of ale, and I'm going to answer some of your lovely voicemail calls today. So, cue the music. So first of all, thank you for our comedic intro to the inestimable Goblins henchman. Very much appreciated, dude. That really made me chuckle when I listened to that call. So let's crack open the call-in bag and see what we've got. Our first voicemail message is from Jason, our old friend from Nerds RPG Varietycast, and he has something to say about our recent Cities episode. Hey, John. Great episode on the City book. You know, I've got tons of books of tables and this and that that I've collected. <laughs> you and me both, mate. But sorry, go on. And I think the hardest part is figuring out which ones to have as the go-tos, which ones to have and, and just have by your desk so you can pick it up and open it up to roll on when you need it. And that's not even to mention all the PDFs. And I mean, obviously, and I'm sure you're in the same boat, you know, we, we don't need to buy another gaming product for the rest of our lives by any means. But it's taking all these different sources, Dungeon Master resources, and figuring out which are the best and making the best use of them or collating them. And, you know, especially with the PDS where you can just print out certain pages and select tables. But it's putting together that perfect kit, I think, that's the challenge because there's just so much out there. Great episode. Keep up the great work. Thanks very much for the call in, Jason. Always greatly appreciated. And we'll hear more from Jason later on. But I think he makes a very interesting point that, yeah, sometimes with all this bounteous wealth of material out there, it can be difficult to curate what you have for a particular campaign. And I'd love to say I'd got a solution that I could just give you all. But to be honest, I don't. It's something that, as Jason was saying, I struggle with whenever I start a new campaign of fighting the urge to go, well, I just want to use everything that I've got. But I've got to that stage now where I know that even if it sort of feels wrong at the start, if I sort of limit myself a little bit and only go with selected materials, then I'll generally end up with a game that I'm far more happy with. But I think before we get too carried away, Jason's got some more to say, this time on the subject of healing potions. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, John, just listen to your healing potion episode. The other thing, of course, are herbs and... Um, po- how do you say it? Poluses? I know that's wrong. I'm driving the car. I don't can't look it up but you you know what i mean like you know things you could spread on your wound um concoction you know herbal concoctions you could use which kind of goes with the the root that you chew but you you know pre-treated you you can buy bandages that are pre-treated effectively right that that might do one to three hit points something like you know of healing that kind of thing over time you know maybe over turn or something i don't know but there are different things you you can do along that 
Yeah. Line two. Can't talk today. Okay. Let you go. Bye. Mate, I wouldn't worry about not being able to talk today. It's taken me five tries to record the little intro bit before your voicemail. I just kept getting tongue-tied while I was doing it. So don't worry about that, dude. But yeah, great point about healing potions and the more natural sort of herbal remedies and stuff like that. And to be honest, I've got a stack of different books I've bought about herbal remedies. I've got... uh, the medicine of plants book i've got the complete medicinal herbal i've got a copy of gerard's herbal i've got the cunningham's encyclopedia of magical herbs and all manner of non-roleplay related books connected with it in terms of gaming books i've got fungi of the far realm i've got the ballists primer and the poisonous plant supplements that i spoke about in previous episodes in terms of like game stuff so yeah i've got loads of uh, supplements and books and inspiration for that and i really love the slightly more sort of natural in inverted commas I mean obviously we're in a fantasy world but I quite like leaning into the idea of like real world botany and stuff like that because there, there were these old herbal remedies that people used to use back in the day so to speak and yeah okay some of them their effectiveness was dubious but some of them worked and went on to be the basis for modern medicine so I think it's really interesting to lean in on that and although it works to a lesser extent it also sort of adds to the game world without really subtracting from the sort of magnificence and specialness of magic because that, that's one of my main things about healing potions if healing potions can be acquired dead easily by any adventure or worth their salt then they don't really seem that magical they just seem like you know like you'd pop down the shops to buy a, a few cans of an energy drink and like glug that to get you back in the action and i don't really want my magic to to, to feel like that in games i want it to feel well magical but uh, i suppose that that might just be me you know your mileage may vary but thank you again for the calling anyway look on the bright side jason at least you're not one of those people who think that there are too many classes in dnd i have to admit i'm one of the people who think there are too many extra classes in some of these products don't and yeah choice is interesting but a lot of times they're not super interesting choices and I wonder if you wouldn't be better off with just your three, okay, I'll admit it, four main, you know, basic classes. Yeah, all joking aside, Jason makes a very good point here. And you can quite happily run a game with just the original D&D classes. I mean, I know I've mentioned it a number of times, but I played in Cody's Delving Deeper campaign. And Delving Deeper's like, you know, fighters, magic users, and a couple of extra things in there. But it's pretty close to like just the basics. And that was absolutely grand. I had a great time playing in that and really enjoyed it. But also, I can appreciate why some players might like a little bit more variety when it comes to classes. Again, as we said when we were talking about random charts, I think curating what's in your campaign is the key. But very interesting discussion. Some neat things in that book remind you know, Arduin had some interesting classes as well. Some were non non combat classes, kinda of like your merchant there. So interesting ideas. And I, I do think this is some a place where skill based systems have an advantage over level and class based systems if if you want to really differentiate people without having tons and tons of classes. But great podcast keep up the great work thanks very much jason yeah i do think you're right that 
probably skill-based systems do have a bit of an edge here when it comes to like the nitty-gritty of making your characters different from each other, whereas classes, to some people, for right or wrong, can seem like a bit of a straight jacket. I personally, I'm not really bothered about that, you know, especially in like OSR-style games where often your characters won't last that long. But, you know, I just pick a class where I'm like, oh, this sounds like something I can enjoy the roleplay with and I'm going to enjoy this character. And I just go with that until they unfortunately die and then I look for another class that'll interest me. So it doesn't really bother me. But I can understand how some people might like a few more sort of bells and whistles and a bit more variety with their class. So next up we have, I believe, a first-time caller, the Pink Phantom. Thank you very much for calling in. And he has some things to say about the notion of FMAG skills and thief skills in general. Go ahead, Pink Phantom. Well, we'll late to, par to the party on the uh, whole thief skill thing. But I was thinking if you were going to go back really old school where every character has a one in six chance for success at something that's basically skill-related, then... If your skill is related to your character class, you could have just roll a second D6. So you'd have essentially two dice and an opportunity to get that six on either one of those dice to succeed. That's an interesting idea. So a little bit like the advantage slash disadvantage mechanic in 5th edition, really. And if you wanted to go even further, you could say if you're trained in a specific skill, not just a broad class of skills, but a specific skill you could add even a, a third dice. So a thief, a regular, a non-thief would have a one in six chance, one dice for a one in six chance to pick locks. A thief would have two dice to roll, or a wizard or a fighter that is trained in picking locks would have a two in six roll, and a thief that is trained in picking locks would be able to roll three dice. That would keep the number of dice you had to roll down. You'd never have more than three, but you could expand that to any class-specific type skills and have skill sets for each class. And they could always, if they trained in them, be better than any other class. Thanks very much for the call-in, Pink Phantom. Yeah, some great ideas there. And as I said um, in an episode previously, I quite like the idea of using like backgrounds to determine what people are skilled in. And I think you could easily use the system that has been proposed there for that uh, i'm not sure of the exact like probabilities the effect and probability that adding the extra dice would involve i would have to uh, look at the figures for that to see whether i thought it made it too likely or too unlikely you were going to pass a skill check and obviously it would depend on how likely or how much you wanted the skills to influence it but i certainly think that's an interesting idea because it wouldn't slow the game down particularly i mean you should know how many dice you're rolling in a certain situation and you just roll your 1, 2, or your 3, D6 at the same time, and all you've got to do is see have any of them succeeded, and you are good to go. So I think that's a really cool idea, and I'd love to see someone develop that potentially into something more. I think it could be a really cool little optional subsystem that could be added to the game. But now Jason's back once again like a renegade master with something to say about the FMAG skills himself. And he's suggesting some other inspiration that I might like to look into. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, John. Jason here. The version with the dragon on, it's the version of FMAG I have. And, yeah, it's a good little system. Um, I'd be honest with you, though, as far as these kind of things go, while you could adapt that, I much prefer what Kevin Crawford's done in Scarlet Heroes. And I recommend people check it out. I'm not going to waste everybody's time describing it here. 
you, you probably have Scarlet Heroes. If not, there's a free quick start PDF you can download. But in Scarlet Heroes, you have traits, which kind of work like careers in Barbarians Lemuria, which kind of work like this generic thief skill. But I, like I said, I think I would just adapt the Scarlet Heroes system and be done with it personally because it works and it's simple and I like it. So there you go. Okay, catch you next time. Take care. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, Scarlet Heroes. I think it's probably one of the few Kevin Crawford books that I don't have a physical copy of. Although I'm sure if I hunt around in my ever-growing collection of PDFs, I've got it in there somewhere. I definitely know I've read it at some point in the past, but it it wasn't one of my sort of favourite settings. Nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't one of my favourites. And I've got to admit, I completely didn't consider it when I was talking about the FMAG skills and stuff like that. However, given your description, it does sound pretty interesting. And I love Kevin Crawford's stuff. I'm a big fan of his. So I'm going to have a look at that as soon as I get the chance. Also, I like the way that Worlds Without Number does skills as well. And perhaps I'll talk about that in a future episode. But that's one of those games where... I really want to have a go at running it before I start talking to it. And as you know, there's never enough time to run all the games you want. But such is life. And last up, we have Joe from Hind Sightless, who wants to talk a little bit about Point Crawl Dungeons. Go ahead, Joe. Yo, John, awesome episode on Point Crawl Dungeons. I really like that idea. I, I find Mega Dungeons, personally, I find them super, super tedious. Yeah, I've got to admit, I sympathize there, dude. I mean, I've played in a number of games where we've been exploring massive dungeons, and they've not been terribly entertaining. However, partly that sort of episode talking about point crawls and my desire to run one myself was spurred on by the fact that in a previous uh, session of Johannes' Burning Wheel game, we explored like an ancient dwarven abandoned mountain strong or think like moria or places like that and the way that he did that was he broke it down into specific little areas and then we sort of explored it in that way in a very like point crawl style rather than sort of laboriously tracking every single move through the dungeon and i thought that worked really well and it made me want to run the dungeons like that in my game especially the bigger ones because my player characters, at some point in their nebulous future, they will have to explore effectively a large sort of underdark, styly area to try and retrieve this magical sword they're looking for. So I wanted to use a few of the smaller dungeons on the way there as like little test beds to like try out a few things because I don't want it to be a long, drawn-out, boring affair, but also it's supposed to be a massive underdark-style dungeon, so I don't want it to be something you can like just waltz through in a few seconds but it's supposed to feel like climactic and like the, the the ultimate challenge to go and retrieve this sword so although i wasn't entirely happy with how my my point crawls worked in the game thus far again nothing against the players they were absolutely great i just think that maybe i've become a little bit too reliant on like maps and stuff like that and i need to like brush up some of my like gming skills but you know we had fun sessions but it's and it's taught me some very useful things that i can then carry on to when we eventually do this big dungeon if i have to spend more than one session in a dungeon whether i'm running it or playing it i'm just i, I just get so bored uh for instance paizo 
at the end of the second book of one of their adventure paths, um, their the the whole second book is awesome. It moves along. It's super fun. And then at the end of the book, they throw this massive, massive mega dungeon that you have to get through, and it just brought the whole game to a grinding halt, man. So I think your idea of the point crawl dungeon could really help that kind of situation out where it keeps things moving along. Anyway, man, great stuff. Peace out. Thanks very much, Joe. And yeah, that situation sounds exactly like what I'm trying to avoid in my own campaign. Like I say, because we've got this large sort of underdog dungeon coming up in the future, I don't want that to feel like it's just put a real stop or slow down on the pacing of the campaign. I want it to feel like an interesting sort of a few sessions of exploration. I'm not going to drag it out to like a ridiculous number of sessions, but it's definitely going to be multiple sessions, maybe what, maybe two or three probably of exploring that. And I want it to feel like it's a suitable sort of climax to the, the story of this magical sword and their quest to retrieve it. I definitely don't want it to feel like a dull slog, like the one that you're describing. It just puts a bit of a downer on the campaign. So that's it for this voicemail episode. Thank you, as always, to my wonderful callers. If you'd like to call in and chat about previous episodes or anything to do with tabletop RPGs and maybe be featured in a future episode like this yourself, then there's a number of ways you can do that. You can leave us a voicemail using either SpeakPipe or Anchor. There are links to those in the description of this episode. Or you could just send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you again, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. Mm-hmm.